Hi, it's Bob from Royal Spa. Soaking in a hot tub full of Epsom salts is the absolute best way to minimize everyday aches and pains. And we know all about Epsom salts at Royal Spa. Royal Spa hot tubs are the only hot tubs on the market that can safely and effectively use Epsom salts. Made right here in Indiana, Royal Spa hot tubs are the highest quality hot tubs on the market. Visit any one of our three Indianapolis locations or visit royalspa.com. Ah, Royal Spa. 12 picks for the Colts in this draft, the most ever in the seven-round modern history of the draft. I think that dates back to 94. Uh, So quite a lot for Chris Ballard and company and the man who was extremely busy this weekend. Covering it all, Joel A. Erickson from the Star joins us now. Um, Joel, actually, if you don't mind, I wanted to go back to Thursday night because we were sitting there when Houston takes C.J. Stroud at two, and for whatever that was, five, six minutes, you're thinking to yourself, oh boy, what is about to happen at three? Who is going to trade up? Will there be a trade up? What happens if a quarterback goes, and how will the Colts react to that? Um, Are you of the belief they would have taken Will Levis had a team traded up for Anthony Richardson? That's a that's a fantastic question, and I I kind of lean that they would not have made a pick at four and would have traded down. They may have still ended up with Will Levis, but I think it would have been later. Um, and I'm kind of just that's kind of just a gut feel. I, I know what Jim Mercer said. I know he said I think we would have taken Will Levis, um, but I, I just I don't know. They're, the, the fact that Levis lasted as long as he did, ended up going all the way to the second round, um, I think maybe they would have tried to get more picks out of it. Because we, we ended up seeing later in the draft that Chris Ballard aggressively tried to get more picks. So, um, yeah, I, I think that I think that number four they might have tried to trade out of. Yeah, I don't think it's a um, it's like a, a, a big majority of the Colts fan base at all that would think this. But it is interesting, Joel, if you just look at, okay, you could have gotten Anthony Richardson, like the Colts did. Or, you know, in, in the Titans' case, they come away with, you know, arguably the best offensive lineman in the draft in Peter Skaronsky and then Will Levis. Like, obviously, mm-hmm. just with these two teams in the AFC, we'll naturally compare them for years to come. Um, but the fact that Levis fell as much as he did, that's going to be a um, certainly a storyline we'll at least talk about twice a year coming up in the fall. The other thing the other thing that, that keeps hanging out in the back of my head about what, what, you know, maybe they wouldn't have taken Levis is, if the Texans don't trade up, if it's Anthony Richardson at three to Seattle or whoever, that means Will Anderson is still on the board. Yeah, that's a good point. And, I mean, man, I, I feel like if you're Chris Ballard, it'd be, it'd be tempting, you know, to, to go for Will Anderson at that spot. So, yeah, I, I think that's kind of where I lean. I know what Jim Irsay said. I I just I'd be curious to find out what what everybody else was thinking. I don't know if we're going to get their thoughts on that publicly, but I'd be curious to see what everybody else was thinking in that moment. Joel, what about the Colts draft surprised you? Either a position they didn't go after or a position they went heavy on that you that surprised you? Uh really, I think the thing that surprised me most was that they took the receiver who's 59. Just Chris Ballard just hasn't done that. I mean, I know they signed Isaiah McKenzie. Uh, I was at the owners' meetings when Shane Steichen said, um, you know, I, I like receivers with a varying bunch of different skill sets. Uh, but, you know, I, I've just gotten used to 
Chris Ballard takes receivers who are 6'3 and 215 pounds, which is the average of the seven he'd taken before that. Um, and so, like, when I was putting together my who to watch for in the second round, I didn't put Downs on it, not because I didn't think Downs was a good player, but just because they just don't take players that short. Um, so that that was probably the biggest surprise for me was, oh, that this is a change in, in what they've wanted in the past, taking a player who's who's that far under six feet. Joel, if I made you write down one name on a sheet of paper right now and the parameters were, this is your best bet of a rookie to start 17 games here this season, would Juju Brents be that guy? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was going to say I was going to say if you if you add in if if you count on slot as a as a starter, you could write downs in there, but it, it just with the with the corner situation the way it is, knowing that Knowing that Kenny Moore is a nickel, I mean, he he plays outside and base, obviously, but Gus Bradley referred to him as a nickel. So in 75, 80% of the snaps, he's going to be inside. Brent seems like a, see, it seems like a no-brainer that Brent ends up starting there. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, Chris Ballard's had some issues with corner in the draft in the second round, especially in terms of immediate impact. So it'll be interesting to see how, how Brent does right away. Um, Obviously, I thought the other kind of funny thing with all the corners they took is Gus Bradley kind of not he kind of downplayed the idea that they love tall corners uh, the week before the draft, and then they, all three they drafted are six two or taller, so it, it still matters. <laughs> the height thing still matters. Yeah, honestly, Joel, the name that I might write down second on that list, you know, I, I think there's a good chance Richardson plays very early, but I probably wouldn't put him second. I understand Downs. The name I might put second would be. Th- the next corner that they took in Darius Rush in round five, just given, yes, you know, people thought he might go earlier than that, but just given the scarcity of that position. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's interesting what they're doing there. Um, they, they've done this before. They took a corner in the second and then a corner in the fifth when they took Rocky Sin and, and Marvell Tell, and both of those guys ended up playing. Tell didn't really start. He played like 250 snaps as a rookie, but you know they they've done it before where they where they pick guys like this without you know a ton of other options there and they they ended up starting them so it's it's interesting they're it, it seems right now like they're just going to kind of go with the young guys and, and see where it goes um that kind of speaks to that kind of speaks to the fact that this is a, a longer term plan and build uh the way they've constructed it this offseason Joel A Erickson is our guest he's on the Payless Sugars hotline Joel, my question for you regarding the current Colts roster, and by that I mean going into the draft. Tell me the player on the Colts roster that should be most elated by the Colts draft pattern this year, and tell me the player that probably was the most unsettled by the way they drafted. Uh, Most excited, Will Fries. Um. They they didn't end up taking an interior player until they did, until they we got to the undrafted free agent part. So, um, and and Tony Sperano kind of hinted at this last week when we talked to him that you know he liked Will Fries as a starter at right guard or he liked you know where where he was headed developmentally. But draft wise, I think after corner, kind of expected them to go guard and try to get somebody to compete for the starting job there. So the fact that they didn't. Uh, Will Fries, to be sure. I think going the other way, probably like 
I don't know, maybe, maybe Isaiah Rogers, just given that. What about the in-house Rogers, tight ends? The tight end, I think the tight, the tight ends probably, but I don't know. It's hard to know which tight end right. should feel concerned. You know, I think maybe, probably you probably guessed Kylan Granson. Because the guy they drafted uh, is more Granson-like than a Mo Alley-Cox-like. Yeah, and Jelani Woods is Jelani Woods. I think I don't think he's he's threatened at all. Um, so yeah, I, I think that uh, the other the other thing I was thinking was Rogers, just because Rogers is coming up here where he's he he kind of needs to get a full year as a full time starter going into his contract year, and drafting a bunch of tall corners that this this defensive coordinating staff seems to like. You know, obviously like last year, Rogers outplayed Faison from start to finish and somehow only got, you know, uh, uh, you know, a very minimal amount more snaps than, than Faison did. I think that you could look at it that way too and go, I, I'm going into trying to prove I'm a starting cornerback so I can get starting cornerback money. And they just drafted three guys who are all tall. Joel A. Erickson from the stars with us here on the Payless Liquors hotline. Uh, what was it? Nine picks on day three, Joel. Uh, the one that you're most intrigued by. It doesn't have to necessarily be the best pick, but just intrigued by the story, the background, whatever. Uh, most intrigued by probably Jake Witt, <laughs> the last pick. Um, just because everything I've read on him sounds like this guy is, and Chris Ballard kind of admitted that that's a swing. They're just. They're just throwing that one into the into the. He's got all the tools for it. He hasn't done it very much. He's super raw. They just want to see if they can get it out of him, and that's 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 an interesting story. But I think the other part of it that's interesting is every once in a while, there's a lot of these guys that don't pan out. Don't get me wrong. There's a bunch of these guys who get taken because of their their tools and stuff, and they don't ever develop into it. But every once in a while, a team does take a guy like that. And it ends up working out. Like Jordan Malata for the Eagles is a good example. I mean, and so, Denzel Good, right? I mean, he was like a seventh or eighth rounder from a small school and was a nice player for them. Yeah, yeah. So those 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 stories are always interesting because sometimes those guys end up turning into something that you weren't necessarily expecting. I mean, Mo, Mo Ali Cox, I don't, he hasn't reached like a I think what the Colts thought was his ceiling, but you consider his basketball background and what he's turned into, especially as a blocker. That's that's kind of similar. And so, like, I think that's probably the most intriguing one to me is can they take this lump of, of, you know, really, really raw, even more raw than, say, Richardson, and can Tony Sperano turn him into something? Joel, we were talking about this earlier, probably on a couple of each hour we've brought this up, but I want your thought on it. Uh, I think Kevin agreed with me on this. One of the first things I, I mentioned this morning to him, now that the draft was over, was – um, it would appear as though if there is concern about the health of Shaquille Leonard, the Colts don't find it to be concern enough that they needed to immediately start making a backup plan or that if they do need to make a backup plan, it's already on the roster. Agreed? Yeah, yeah. yeah I think it's probably EJ Speed is, is what they're betting on. Gus Bradley said some really, really – um, praise, he's praised AJ Speed and the way he grew in the defense last year. Um, but, but to the larger point, I think I think you're right. Yeah, them not taking a linebacker, not sort of back backstopping themselves. It it is a a bet on it because they had a pretty good player there in Bobby Okereke last year. You you don't know if, if 
what what Speed did at, at well, I guess it's the auto here, the strong side linebacker, um, would translate to the other side, and they they haven't really added anybody who's uh, you know a linebacker linebacker. Now they did give one undrafted free agent a hundred thousand dollar guarantee, but he's an undrafted free agent. So um, you might expand yeah, it on I that, do. Joel. I think that's a good take on it. You might expand it on the undrafted linebacker. I know you do a lot of homework on that group and just what that type of signing bonus means. We obviously saw last year JoJo Doman, an undrafted linebacker, make the team. Yeah, so the the interesting thing is that uh, as much money as the guarantees get, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to make the roster. If I'm, I, I'm pretty sure that last year uh, Ryan Vandemark, the tackle, got something like $275,000 in guaranteed money, and he didn't make the roster. Um, and so it, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to make it. What, it. what it generally means is that other teams were after you. Um, and, and Donovan, you've seen the, the guy from Houston. He's played a lot. He's been around a lot. Um, I think he tested fairly well. And it, there, were, there were clearly – Valerie said they kind of had a priority on linebackers since they didn't draft one and they had drafted free agent. There must have been other teams coming after him that made them feel like they had to, had to up the guarantee. It's really not – a huge guarantee, though, compared to the rest of the league. Whereas, like, Vandermark, I know, was up at the very top of biggest guarantees last year. 100000 I think, when I counted it up, at least the information I have, it's more around, like, 15th. And that, that information probably doesn't have everybody, so it's probably more around the 20th range. Again, Joel A. Erickson is with us here from the Indianapolis Star. Joel, I know the athletic trait headline stands out to you about this Colts draft class. Like, that was easily, I think, the most popular thought that I saw from, you know, national draft people or just general Colts fans. To me, it's not that big of a difference from typical Ballard drafts. I mean, it's probably a slight increase, but Ballard always drafts guys that are crazy athletic and go to the senior bowl and our team captains. To me, what I think is the biggest difference in this draft is I saw premium positions addressed earlier than he's ever really done. I mean, when you talk about, and again, this is my opinion, but I look at quarterback, wideout, tackle, defensive end, and corner. Those five, to me, stand above the rest of all the other positions. Well, the first four picks, he drafted four of those five. And then you go five of the first six. And then you go eight of the 12 if you look at the entire draft class. For me, I think this draft class stands out in that area. It was more of an earlier focus on the premium positions compared to other Ballard drafts. Well, and I think I think he's done that in some of the other drafts in terms of he drafted premium positions in the second or third round. But what this draft didn't have that the other ones have is the one where we're kind of, we're sitting there and the name comes up and the position comes up and you're going, huh? They took Jonathan Taylor, a running back, you know, when they had, already have Marlon Mack or um, Okereke. I remember that pick being that way, where it's like, oh, they took a linebacker, uh, and it feels like they're already kind of set there for the immediate future. There wasn't a lot of there wasn't a lot of picks that like you could look at as okay this is for one year out when this guy's a free agent and we might want to move on from him um and i think part of that is if you looked at the depth chart going into the draft this team had a significant need for depth at just about well not every spot but a lot of different spots on the roster they had to fill a lot of needs they didn't they haven't done a lot in terms of you know, adding some of those back-end parts of the roster in free agency, like, especially on the offensive line. That's the one I'm thinking about the most. If you look at the offensive line depth chart, 
going into the draft and even coming out of it, there, there's a real lack of experience uh, depth there. And and so they, they had to, to make a lot of picks to, to kind of, in an effort to, to re-inject some depth into this roster. Joel A. Erickson is our guest, Indianapolis star, where you can read his work. Payless Ziggers Hotline is where his voice is now. Um, Joel, other teams around the league, and I realize your focus is on the Colts, but whether it be from your own observation or just from some of your colleagues maybe um, in discussing it, any other team that jumped out at you either as one that you thought, okay, they had a really good plan and I think they've got to be thrilled with the draft, or a team where you said, what in the world are they possibly doing? Detroit was confusing. Mark just, agrees with I you. I told you. First round, Detroit was just really confusing going uh, Jameer Gibbs at 12 uh, and then taking Jack Campbell, the linebacker, at 18 um, or 20. I can't remember the, the right route, the right pick for sure. Um, but it just that's kind of the opposite of what, K, what KB was just saying about taking premium positions. They didn't just take non-premium positions. They took players who were expected to fall farther. I mean, I think if it was B. John Robinson at 12, he'd be – like, okay, they took a running back, but it's supposed to be a generational one. Jameer Gibbs, my understanding, is more of a, like, passing down complimentary back. And they signed David Montgomery from the Bears for $6 million a year during a free agency. That was a, that was a strange one. Um, and then I think the other one that sticks out just from the first night, I, can't remember, I actually don't know what they did the rest of the draft. But the, the Texans kind of taking the big swing with the two – the two big-time guys, the quarterback and the defensive end at two and three, um, obviously obviously inject some interest into a franchise that when we've gone down there the past couple of years, there's, there hasn't been any. There's just not a lot of tents in the parking lot, that kind of thing. Um, but also, after seeing some of the stuff that people said about the Texans are all in on Bryce Young, the Texans are all in on Bryce Young, like you wonder how all in they are on C.J. Stroud now. I mean, they took him at two. But everything we heard, like, where did that come from? You know, was there some truth to that? You know, did they did they kind of feel pressured to make a pick there that they didn't necessarily want to make? All right, last one, Joel. Appreciate the time here. And, again, as Jake said, uh, Indy Star, all of your coverage from Joel A. Erickson, Nate Atkins as well, all weekend long. Um, I get the vibe from Shane Steichen and Jim Irsay, Joel, that they are very willing to, to potentially throw Anthony Richardson out there week one. As of May 1st, your thoughts on the Colts' week one starter emphasis on May 1st? Yeah, I, I think right now, I, I'm, I've, based on what Steichen and Ursay said, especially Steichen, um, I, I would put it on Richardson. Um, we've asked Steichen a couple of times about Gardner Minshew, even going back to way before they made the pick, about whether, you know, I think someone asked, you know, point blank, like I'm assuming Gardner Minshew is going to start. And he has been very reluctant to say anything even remotely in the range of that. I think they want to play him. And I think the other part of this is they don't necessarily have to win right away. You know, Jim Mersey has floated this a couple times now. He's, he's brought up the early Peyton years, how they had some years where the record was bad, but they knew they were headed in the right direction. I think that experience for him is important here because it means he's less likely to be like, we have to win right away. And so if you're, if you don't have to, if you don't feel like you have to win, you might be more comfortable. You're, you're probably more comfortable with, with starting Anthony Richardson, I, even if there's some 
hiccups in there. Winning, and I like Gardner Minshew. I, I do. But winning with Gardner Minshew does nobody any good, right? Right. I mean, I, that's the reality. I, you might as well, if eventually you're going to hand the keys over, you might as well just say, you know what? Go, right? I mean, take the training well, wheels off and go. I keep thinking about this. There's actually a drawback if you have a guy there who's capable of winning enough that it puts you in like a we're Correct. not going to develop the rookie right away position. I just keep thinking about the Dolphins with uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick and Tua Tagovailoa, where like Tua's career kind of got a uh, herky jerky start because they kept like using Fitzpatrick essentially as a closer in baseball. They would be like, ah, this game's not going well. We're going to pull him in, and like it, it did work for them. It got them wins, but. In terms of the, the most important thing, which is getting their quarterback ready to play, it, it didn't work out. And I've thought about that a lot. If, if whoever this quarterback is that you're going to have as the backup slash placeholder, you don't want them to keep this guy off the field when he might be ready to play. Plus, and this might sound a little harsh, but if you're worried about this kid's scar tissue and handling whatever poor moments as a rookie, then I don't know if he's wired in the right way to handle just – inevitable ups and downs that come during an NFL season. Um, again, that, that it might be a little bit too critical early in, in his you know career, and I get he's about to turn 21 years old here in a few weeks. But to me, he strikes me as a guy that you know could handle that. And again, if that's a big worry for you, then you're going to probably hit some bumps in the road down you know in his future. Yeah, and, and wouldn't the same thing then apply if you're worried about that hurting his chicken his confidence? Wouldn't the same thing apply to starting Gardner Minshew for somebody like Gardner Minshew for 13 games? That's a good point. Yeah, yeah. I think Minshew is a good backup, but we know what his feeling is as a starter, and that that can be just as big a deal. Um, you know, and, who's playing in front of me in terms of confidence? That, I'm not speaking about Richardson specifically. I think I think what Jamie Moore said about Richardson specifically is something that I've thought about all draft cycle with these guys. Playing at Florida is an enormous amount of pressure, especially when you're a five-star prospect or a four-star prospect or whatever Richardson was. From Gainesville. Like, yeah. Like, he's, he's – I think Jamie Moore said he's basically a local legend there. Like, the, the pressure that comes with that, and then he's already had to deal with the disappointment of going six and six and not playing like a superstar right away and having to sit behind people. I think that there's there's probably he's probably been through more than people realize when you think about a 21 year old. Just because I, I used to cover SEC teams, the pressure on those quarterbacks is enormous. Just matters more. And, and Gardner Minshew, back, back to that point though, Joel. When Gardner Minshew signed here, he, he he had to know the reality, right? I mean, he comes in and he knows they've got the number four pick. I would assume that he is well under the understanding when he came in, hey, I'm, I'm here in a leadership role, and that might mean starting a game. It might mean starting 12, but either way, he has to know that reality, right? Yeah, I mean, the contract he signed is for $3.5 million with a potential up to 55 based on playing time. That's actually kind of low for a, a top-end backup quarterback. Right, so, and he is a top-end backup. I mean, let's be real, right? He's one of the better backups you could get. Yeah, and, and so if you look at that contract, Gardner Minshew has been in the NFL long enough, to be, and he's smart enough to know, okay, I signed for $3.5 million. I, I'm not signing to any kind of burst right here. Joel, great work all weekend long. Enjoyed, frankly, I just enjoyed your sane company uh, in that room, which uh, you know can get a bit, bit chaotic in there, especially when Drake the dog comes in and starts eating the media food.
Jake, Jake moves around. Jake's under your feet. He's on one side of the room. He's on the other one. That dog, that dog explores the space. Tell you what, dude. Talk about the Raz score on Drake. He's a little Josh Downs like moving in and out of some of his breaks <laughs> there. So quite the uh, quite the effort from Jim Irsay's canine there. So on not Saturday. Drake Nevis is what we're getting. Uh, at, right? No, not. But I, I, I did like Drake Nevis. He had a he had a great attitude. Uh, Joel, great work, man. Thank you. Yeah, appreciate having me on, guys.